All right, Hanson, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So um, just to start out, I'd love to let our listeners know a little bit about you and kind of your background. Well, my name is Hanson Shu. I'm an acoustician and the inventor of Zero Acoustics. Um, I am the founder and uh, CEO of Delta H Design Incorporated, which we uh, affectionately call DHDI, just because it's easier to say. And um, my background is that I'm from originally upstate New York. I was raised in upstate New York. I went to a state school in Binghamton, New York, and moved out to California, puttered around in the industry a lot for uh, music, television, film, live sound, and founded DHDI in 97 or 98, late 90s. And um, we have been doing quantum acoustics for about... 12 years now since we invented the uh, ZR Acoustics paradigm on the Mike Shipley project in, I believe it was 2006. So we do architecture, we do acoustics, and uh, I have another firm called Nomad Arc Inc., which is transportable high-end building structures for residential and commercial. Um, me in a nutshell. So looking at acoustics, you know, these days, it's really one of those, it's almost like a buzzword where everyone in design and architecture is talking about acoustics. Um, and will you just go into just a little bit of this 101 on what is acoustics and why do they matter? Well, acoustics is, and that's a very good question, Katie, and, um, and it's an excellent question. And it's an excellent question as to why it's on everyone's mind right now. Acoustics is the science of sound. So uh, acoustics and sound are tied together at the hip. They are impermeable connected. In other words, if you have sound, you have acoustics. If you have acoustics, you have sound, period. If you're listening to earbuds, a stereo, or just talking to each other in a room, acoustics is involved if sound is involved. The reason why people are so interested in it is because the... The modern aesthetic, which we all love, which I personally love with clean lines and lots of glass and gorgeous paint and metals and hard surfaces, is the antithesis of what's good for acoustics. So what we like aesthetically and visually, we don't like acoustically. In other words, um, take like a 1970s vintage steakhouse, you know, where there's a booths and padded seats, right? And it's very dark. It's visually dark. Um, and it's also acoustically dark because there's a lot of soft surfaces to absorb reflections. Reflections are usually the, the source of many evils in acoustics. Um, so the science of sound, acoustics being the science of sound, means that you can't just put sound anywhere haphazardly and then expect it to sound good or pleasant or have good intelligibility. Intelligibility defined as being able to understand spoken conversation, regardless of the language, regardless of gender, regardless of any of those sorts of things. Just simply, can you have a conversation between two or more people and understand the content of what they're saying? So a perfect example would be if I hold my hand over my mouth right now and I keep talking, I go, hey, Katie, I'm talking to you through this podcast. It becomes much more difficult to understand you, which is low intelligibility. 
high intelligibility is this, this normal. If I come a little close to the microphone, I can speak even softer. And yet you can understand the content and the words and the meaning of what I'm saying. So Acoustics 101 is the science of sound. When, I mean, I'm, I don't know if everyone knows this, but sound comes out in waves, which is why the materials around us, especially in our interiors, are, are so important. Um, will you talk a little bit about that and about uh, why it is like what types of materials are the worst for acoustics? Absolutely. So you're, you're correct in, in a very basic theory way is that sound moves in waves or what we call compression and rarefication. And again, this is acoustics 101 so that we're boiling it down into very straightforward metaphors. So the most common metaphor, if you would look at visually, like uh, imagine a slinky where you would to like, you know, compress it and then extend it. That's like a sound wave. It, it compresses and it extends. And as it compresses and extends, that's what makes the sound. Or if you were to look at a, a wave in the ocean and watch the wave, you know, rolling from the ocean onto the beach, that also is a wave. So in relation to what you mentioned, the uh, surfaces, the, the waves of sound like when I'm speaking or when you're talking to me, if you're listening to a stereo or traffic noise or any sound, it, it propagates from a source. There's something that makes a, a sound, whether it be you clapping or talking or dropping a box on the floor, that creates a sound. That sound moves through air. We need air to, to hear as humans. We hear through the air. So the sound moves through the air and then the, that energy that's moving through the air, it's, it's sound is energy. It's, it's just like heat, right? It's just energy moving through the air molecules until it hits something and then it bounces back and reflects. The reflections are largely or mostly where we end up with a lot of the problems. Mm -hmm. A lot of reflections around a room reflect the sound all over the place. Like imagine walking into a, a, a racquetball court with like a thousand ping pong balls in a box and tripping and you, all the, all the ping pong balls fall out of the box. And go boing, 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 boing. <laughs> If every ping, exactly. You can imagine what that looks right. Yeah. Right. If every ping pong ball were a piece of sound and it bounced all over the place, it's chaos. And it's hard for our brains to interpret all those different sounds. Cause there's just so many of them going on. Whereas like when you and I are talking, I speak and then you respond and then you speak and I respond. It's very easy to interpret and understand what's going on because we're only listening to one thing at once. Imagine like the ping pong balls and the racquetball court. Imagine if you were in a room with like a thousand people all talking at the same time. There's really simply no way you can understand a thousand conversations at once. And when that sense of, of reflection, like the ping pong balls on the racquetball court, when one person speaking gets reflected in a room so much, or even two people, then all those reflections come back to us and create this sense of a cacophony of unintelligibility, the anti-intelligibility or anti-clarity. So back to your original point, the surfaces of any space, of any envelope, building envelope, structure, interior room, they affect acoustics dramatically mm -hmm. because if the surface is a perfect reflector like glass or polished steel, 
then what happens is you get 100% of the energy back, 100% of the acoustics, 100% of the sound comes back into the room, bounces around like the ping pong balls in the rockabout court, and just keep bouncing around because the energy never gets dissipated or absorbed or quantized or, or removed in any way, which means it's just hard to understand or hard to hear or hard, hard to have clarity or intelligibility. If you use softer surfaces, if you use surfaces that have absorption, if you use you know, devices that can quantize the sound and turn it into heat or things that take the, the surfaces of the room and don't let those reflections occur or mitigate those reflections, it helps. It helps a lot. And there's, there's a lot that can be done with that on both ends, both traditional and quantum mechanics. So one thing you just brought up that made me kind of go like, wait, what is, what do you mean can turn it into heat? So in, in physics and science, there's a, there's a word that we use often called transduction mm -hmm. and you use it every day. We're using it right now, speaking mm -hmm. into microphones. A microphone is a transducer. Your phone is a trans, a speaker, a, a light bulb. And all it is, is it's a very fancy physics, sciencey word that means it transforms one kind of energy into another form of energy. So I can take um, electricity, which is one form of energy, and I can pipe it down a, a cable into a light bulb, and I can turn it into light, which is a different form of energy. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about acoustics, what we're talking about is trying to change um, the energy that's moving the air. So the sound is energy. So acoustics is the science of sound. And the science of sound is defining sound as energy. Like imagine it is a vibration, just for a metaphoric sense. Vibration, which is energy, vibrating air molecules. And you hear the air molecules vibrating and it goes into your ear and it vibrates something in your ear and that turns into what we consider to be sound. Mm -hmm. Okay. If that energy, if you want that energy to not, like I'm sitting in a little ZR Acoustics um, booth right now of screens. So I'm surrounded by screens which are quantizing the sound so that they don't ever come back to me. So that sound energy, instead of hitting a wall and then coming back to me all out of phase oh. and jumbly and, and unintelligible and unclear, it just stops. It doesn't go into a wall and come back to me. It goes into a device and it gets, for lack of a better theory right now, it gets converted into heat in hmm. a very special way. Whether it be classical mechanics or quantum physics, the concept, the tools that we use in acoustics are largely to turn the sound energy that hits a surface from sound energy or vibration, sound and vibration energy, and converting it into heat. Now, it's not enough heat that you can put your hand on the wall and feel it, yeah. right? You know, we're not going to be toasting anything. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but it's, it's exactly the same concept as if you stuck a piece of bread in your toaster and turned it on. You're taking electricity and you're converting it to heat so that you can toast a piece of bread. Or, you know, the other way around, like you watch in a superhero movie where they're like, oh, I can take the heat from the sun that can convert it into power my spaceship, whatever, mm -hmm. right? Um, that's transduction. And so transduction has been a, the base of uh, acoustic control for many, many, many years. Uh, okay. So how is a designer able to look at a product and tell what the absorption is? 
almost all products and acoustics have an absorption rating. Um, there's several different ways to look at it. One is the, the most traditional one is called the Sabine coefficient, mm -hmm. SA. Um, and then another rating is an NRC, which is which stands for noise reduction coefficient. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a fancy way to say how much noise does it absorb. Mm -hmm. um, both, both ratings uh, maximize out at one and start at 0.1. And there, there's alternatives to this and there's new codes, but if you, on a very basic level, if you think about it, 0.1 being very little absorption and one being a lot of absorption, that's an easy way to look at it, both for Sabines and NRC. Mm -hmm. Now, absorption doesn't necessarily turn into good sound because it's it, it's very frequency based. Mm -hmm. uh, think think of frequency like like pitch in a on a keyboard, like different notes in an instrument. Um, higher notes are higher frequency, and lower notes are lower frequency. And rooms have a mixture of those depending upon what's going on in a room. But Sabine is a good, Sabine and NRC are good measures of absorption coefficients. Mm -hmm. Do you know why it is that it's within the point system? Because it, it almost seems like it makes more sense if it were 1 to 10. Um, is there a reason why it's a point system? Or within dozen? There is a, a his, yeah, there is a historical reason why. Um, it's funny, I was just uh, reading up on it the other day. It, it's long and complicated, okay. <laughs> like, many like many technological things, it was an evolution where they they didn't want to get it too complicated. And it was also very, it wasn't that long ago. Acoustics is, I guess you could say the father of acoustics really was uh, uh, Wallace Sabine, mm -hmm. which is what the Sabine unit is named after. And uh, he was a, um, he worked at Harvard University and he worked on the I believe it was the Boston Symphony Hall. Anyway, he, he solved a poor sounding room that no one else could solve. He was the bottom man on the totem pole. And after all the prestigious professors had um, failed to solve it, they said, let's give it to Wallace because, you know, who cares if Wallace fails because we've all failed. And Wallace <laughs> succeeded. Um, and so, you know, and I don't know if he named it after himself or someone named it after him, but um, he, he basically came up with a kind of one to 10 in a way of rating it. And uh, I think if I had to guess, like many scientists, they wanted to keep their options open for increased mm -hmm. levels of um, definition. So by making it a, a point one, it's obvious that you can go to a point one, one or a point one, two, mm -hmm. right? Like so, like in a hundred years, we may get into like a point one 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 four and a point two three three six. Mm -hmm. But if you have just have a one two one through ten, you may not think to go one point two, right? Mm -hmm. So that would that would be my best historical guess. But um, but yeah, I mean, there's always another decimal point somewhere. So yeah, <laughs> um, they, right. And you bring up a good question because there's a lot of manufacturers. There's a lot of specifications now saying that. Um, I have a Sabine of 1.3 or an NRC of 1.2. And there's a lot of arguments on both sides. It's like, well, if one is the complete absorption of a frequency or one is complete absorption of all sound, all, is complete noise reduction, mm -hmm. and it's a 1.0, which is the noise reduction coefficient, is maximum, how can you go beyond the maximum? Yeah. <laughs> and so that's an interesting 
there's a lot to be read. That's for a much longer conversation, but there's a lot to be read about that. So I don't know. I don't know why, but I think that they just try to keep it one to 10 because it's, you know, it's easy to understand for most people. That's one of the things I love about science is how often it's like, well, why is that? And it's like, well, it's a very complicated, and you're just like, okay, okay. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we believe you. We believe you. Um, <laughs> it's true. It's true. So how can designers, that's one of the problems, right, is that you have the space, you start designing it, you know that all of the pieces that are going to go into this space will, you know, absorb little bit at least uh you would hope and um so how does somebody start a project thinking about acoustics instead of having it be once everything's in going oh no everything echoes well katie that's an excellent question and that's a question which uh has been asked many 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 times so the, the perfect answer to that is um, for any client or any landowner or studio designer, anyone who's starting a project, um, just like you would hire an architect and a structural engineer or a mechanical engineer, all the, all the critical subcontractors that require you to make sure that the building won't fall down, that it has proper air conditioning, that the wind won't blow through the windows, an acoustician is at that same level of priority. Mm-hmm. Um, and as to go back to your original question, as the circumstance right now exists where everyone's talking about it, the reason why everyone's talking about acoustics is because there is so much poor acoustics around us mm-hmm. that train stations and bus stations and hospitals and healthcare facilities and gyms and recording studios and residences have such poor acoustics, whether it be the subjective signature the the sound of the room inside the room or the isolation the isolation is poor between rooms and you're hearing your neighbors or you're hearing the airport or whatever it is right through the walls it's because people didn't bring an acoustician in early enough in on the project so to answer your question i would say that um if you care about acoustics and it's something that affects you and you don't want to have to deal with it after the fact which is always more expensive and more difficult um when you hire an architect or even before you hire an architect, hire an acoustician mm-hmm. or at least consult with or at least consult with one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, people, I think, get daunted by hiring a, a team of people, an architect, a structural engineer, an HVAC guy and, a, you know, a contractor, all this. But a lot of times I don't know any acousticians who won't spend an hour with you, you know, just doing some basic consulting and a little basic education. Mm -hmm. If you find someone that you get along with and you enjoy talking to them and they seem, you know, educated and they seem to speak in a way that makes sense to you, then hire them for an hour and and pick their brain and find out what you need to do to avoid um, a major train wreck down the Mm -hmm. road. So that would that would be my advice. I think I told you last time that we chatted about uh, my friend who we've been friends for like 12 years. He's now an architect and he kept going. I think the acoustics are wrong in here. I think the, the acoustics are wrong. And after it was in an office building and after everyone moved in, they found out that you could hear anyone using the restroom like throughout the entire <laughs> space. And like, yeah, that's I was just like, OK. Yeah, that's that's something you need to fix immediately. <laughs> like, 
unless people enjoy listening to other people go to the restroom. Perhaps they did that on purpose. You never know. You know, I don't. It's a strange world yeah, out there. So, that is true. Now we've also. But, um, but yeah, that, that's an excellent point. Is uh, it if it's not a priority from the beginning, then it becomes an issue. Yeah. That's 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 true. All design of in our, in our architectural division and in our in our interior division. If you don't take into account light, natural daylight, the direction that the building is facing, the geographical location of the building and which, which way the windows are facing in relation to, you know, the seasons, then light becomes a problem mm -hmm. later. You know, if you don't think design requires thought, it requires intuition, it requires, you know, preliminary work. That's what design is, as you're thinking about everything before it happens to create a space, to create an environment that serves the purpose of what you're trying to achieve. If you don't put the priority or put the, the list of things you need to do into that design, then of course, you know, if I'm going to design a hot air balloon, I don't have wheels, but if I'm going to design a car, I need wheels, but I don't necessarily need a balloon. Mm -hmm. It's, it's very much defined at the beginning. And if you don't get it at the beginning, then you end up with no wheels on your car or no balloon on your hot air. Mm -hmm. balloon. So it's uh, about good design and preliminary thinking. Mm -hmm. Now, one of my favorite things about um, you've been writing this uh, article for us for the last year. And when during the uh, article about restaurant acoustics, something that I really escaped my brain is you were talking about how you don't want it to be so loud that you can't hear one another. However, you also don't want it to be too quiet. Like there's that, you know, cause you, yes. most people would think like, yeah, you know, this is echoey bad, like the opposite of echo must be great, you know? Um, but how are acoustics used to like really kind of set the mood or to like create an environment? Well, that's that's a, another great question, Kate. You're asking very good questions. So, the the great thing about acoustics is it's very much like other design elements or, or like architecture. It's it, it's biomimetic. Um, biomimetic meaning that it mimics biology. So, think about your question in the real world. Mm -hmm. Remove buildings, remove you know cities, and just pretend that you and your friends are going on a road trip. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you stop it. You stop at your friend's um, your friend's house in in Kansas, or I can't remember which. I think it's Oklahoma. Okay. Okay. So you stop in Oklahoma, and there's these huge rolling green hills with buffalo roaming mm -hmm. around, right? And you get out of your car, and you hear the birds chirping, and you can hear the wind blowing through the grass and the trees. And the buffalo generally don't make noise unless they're agitated, <laughs> and it's kind of quiet. But you can hear wind and trees, and there's this environment that that nature has created that that's from evolution, whatever. It's nature is create this environment that's comfortable. But you're not always in the mood for that. That's why when we build cities and we, we build a theater to watch a movie, but a theater is not great for dining because there's no tables. There's it's too small. And dining rooms are terrible as theaters mm -hmm. or or a, a car a car showroom is terrible for, you know, playing bocce mm -hmm. ball or, you know, a volleyball court is terrible for, you know, I don't know, having dinner. It's it's environments that we create as humans we we have the model in nature meaning that we know what nature sounds like we know we know what it feels like we know what the temperature is how much light how much sunlight you know is it is it 
you know, open air and very tall? Is it small like a cave or does it feel like my, you know, like climbing in a tree? So using biomimetics is a huge part of our design. And, and I think of many architects' designs is how we mimic nature. We look to nature for the things that we like. So when we think, I want to be in a space that is quiet where I can talk to someone, but not so quiet that everyone in the room can hear me perfectly because I want to have a private conversation. But there's 20 people in this room all having dinner, mm -hmm. right? You design for that. So you look to nature and you look to spaces that have been designed or naturally are that way where you can sit in different places and not hear each other. Like I can sit behind this tree with my friend and you can sit behind that tree because the tree blocks mm -hmm. the sound, right? But it doesn't take away from the environment because it's only one tree every, say there's 20 people having conversations, 20 groups of people having conversations. It's 20 trees in a certain space. So again, it's biomimetics. Mm -hmm. Again, going back to my point before, design, you have to, as in architecture, acoustics is very much the same you have to know what you're designing for to start with. If you have that vision, or I should say, if you have that sound in your head, you start from the beginning. And when you start from the beginning, everything flows down. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting, particularly because that makes sense as to why, like I personally get uncomfortable if I'm in a very quiet environment. Um, like I'm, yes. I'm glad that like most yes. libraries don't shush you every time you speak anymore. You know, they are kind of places where you can read <laughs> and hang out and be there, you know, like, because it makes me so uncomfortable, but that makes sense because in nature, if all of a sudden nature goes quiet, there's something probably stalking you, you know, like it's probably not good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. This is true. And, and that's a very good point in nature. If everything goes quiet, if the animal life all go quiet, if the birds all go quiet, birds are an excellent sense of environmental mm -hmm. changes, right? If all the animals go quiet, if your dogs and cats go quiet, that's very well understood in biology that they're sensing things that we don't sense. So either there is going to be a mm -hmm. tornado or a thunderstorm or, yeah. <laughs> or an earthquake or, or they're hunting something, you know, the hunter is about the, the cheetah is about to hunt the gazelle and, and he's being really quiet because he's going to jump out of a bush and grab. And so, yes, <laughs> I, I think, you know, evolutionarily that if it's too quiet, we get a little nervous for yeah. all those reasons. <laughs> like many things again, and I hate to keep quoting nature, but I cannot begin to tell you how much time um, we spend doing research on, on biology and nature and physics in, in nature. If you think of all the most comfortable places you've mm -hmm. ever been, um, physically, temperature-wise, acoustically, you know, structure-wise, or if you want to call it nature, nature's architecture and nature's acoustics. For me, I grew up in the country. So I remember sunny day, upstate New York. The grass is long, but not too long. My dog and I were hanging out in a field by, you know, someone's house. There was lots of woods and it was quiet. There's a country road about a half a mile away, but it's quiet, but not too quiet. And it's warm, but not too warm. And it's comfortable and breezy, but not super windy. It's as humans, we generally have kind of like a middle mm -hmm. range. It's a, it's a broad middle range. We like to hear, you know, highs and lows. We like to hear full sound. We like, we like it to be, 
you know, warm and cold, meaning I want sunlight, but I want a little breeze, but I don't want just baking mm -hmm. sun with no breeze. I don't, you know, like Las Vegas, right? I think that middle range is where most humans live most mm -hmm. of the time. And I think designing for that middle range is, is what most people work for while trying to expand the middle range to its mm -hmm. fringes, to the very fringe where you can still stay in a zone of comfort and acoustical intelligibility and clarity, but maximizing out that middle range as much as you can. Um, so it's still within a comfort zone. It's still, you know, a movie's not going to hurt you because it's too loud and make your ear eardrums bleed, but it's going to give you a sense of, of, of mm -hmm. reality as, as much as a spaceship or meteor by can do that. But, you know, if, if a truck drives by in the, in the movie theater soundtrack that you really feel like it was a truck, like a, it felt like a real truck going by because it's got enough volume and enough clarity that it sounded like a real mm -hmm. truck right and that sort of thing i think designing for that is critical and again it starts from the beginning without the the mental image of the sound then down the line it just can't really happen unless it mm -hmm. happens by accident it's like a building you can't think i'll just build something <laughs> and then just start building you know you build a skyscraper you have an intention you have a concept. You, you you think about what you wanted to achieve and what, what its purpose will be. Just like a mm -hmm. sound design or acoustic design. You have an idea of what it will what you want it to sound like. What do you want it to what feeling do you want that sound or that piece of music to evoke? So I think design is critical and design is rooted in our, our mental image of what that sound mm -hmm. should be. And without that, I think um I think otherwise it's just trial and error and hope mm -hmm. for the best. You know, I think that's so interesting because, um, you know, like when I was in undergrad forever ago and took interior design courses, like, <laughs> you know, we mostly learned about, you know, what colors went well together and what, uh, you know, how we should put things together and a lot about patterns. But like when you look at design today, designers really have to take into consideration all of the senses, really. I mean, not taste, because, like, I'm really hoping we don't come up with, like, anything having to do with taste and interior. <laughs> but, like, you have, like, scent designers now, and you have, like, uh, you know, you need to make sure the acoustics are right. And so many people are, are interested in, like, texture, you know, because just having a, a just a, box again going back to the biomimetics everything we're doing is just trying to emulate what we as humans mm -hmm. like in nature it's it's so it's it's kind of like the easy way out well uh, you know okay what do we like well we like this in the i went to this place here outside and it was great i'm like okay well what was great about it it yeah. had texture <laughs> the trees had texture the trees weren't like wallpaper they had texture i could walk around i could touch it i could feel it you know textured walls texture paints and that's been around for a long time in Ways we don't, you know, necessarily enjoy anymore, like uh, cottage cheese stucco <laughs> um, spray on ceilings, you know, that kind of stuff. But, but obviously, it's evolved to a much finer degree mm -hmm. of aesthetic now, obviously. But um, but yes, texture is very important, just mm -hmm. as it is in sound. If you have like a pure sine wave, which is you know, you can play a pure sine wave got out of anything almost right now, an app on your phone. It's not as interesting as a uh, is a complex sound wave. For instance, if you played a, a tone, a pure sine wave is a, a, a tone, a pure tone. It's not as 
beautiful, and this is a subjective measure, as uh, say, um, mm -hmm. woman singing opera, or the cry of a baby, or you know, the sound of you know some somebody's voice that you find really, really beautiful, or sexy, or elegant, or or a piece of music, which are all complex waveforms. So that texture in acoustics emulates texture on a wall. We we tend to like as humans things that are complex, but not too complex. You know, it's um, like take a David Hockney image, you know, off a wall of one of his paintings that are made up of all sorts of images that make mm -hmm. up another image, right? If that image gets too busy, um, it becomes overwhelming mm -hmm. to the senses. But if it's not busy enough, then you can't see the picture he's trying to convey. And if it's busy enough, you can see both the image he's trying to convey and, if you, and then you walk up close to it and you can mm -hmm. see all the images within it. So there's always this threshold. There's always this threshold of yes, we like texture, we like multi-complex waveforms and different sounds that have all these cool sounds woven into them. I mean, we have DJs now, and that's that's what they do. You know, they're weaving together all these really cool sounds to create this montage or texture of sounds. And the DJ world is phenomenal. It's amazing what they're doing nowadays. It's like it's it's like painting with sound. It's incredible. So. Texture, yes, we like texture, and I don't think it's just that it's innovative. I think it's, I think a lot of what we do, is simply because mm -hmm. we like it. We like. I think so much of what we do as humans is not, is is not purely based in a proven scientific mm -hmm. reason, which is important. But I think so much of what we do is we like it. It's like I really like that textured wall, that that wall that has all the curves on it, versus just the flat mm -hmm. painted drywall wall, you know. And so I think it boils down to a subjective measure of aesthetic, whether it be acoustic aesthetic or architectural aesthetic or visual aesthetic. It's it's what we like as humans, and and therefore we design for that. It kind of makes sense. You were talking about the biomimic aspect of it. And that really goes into my next question really well, because um, you've talked about it in the article a few times, but that health aspect, you know, we're seeing that um, biophilic de design really does create a healthier environment for the individual. Um, and so how does health tie in with acoustics? Or I guess the vice versa. Well, that, that's an excellent question too, which is, um, and I'm glad you asked that because in this day and age, I think that more than ever, um, we're looking at health in in multiple ways. If uh, if you want to call it very simply, call mm -hmm. it East West, right? But Western medicine, Eastern medicine, yoga has become prolific. Meditation is a common word. I remember. I, I don't even remember how many years ago. It was not too many years ago. I would be at my climbing gym and I would I would be doing yoga, and all my my friends, not people I didn't know, my friends were like, mm -hmm. "Dude, what are you doing? It's so weird. You look weird. Why? Why?" And yoga, they didn't know what yoga was, and it was a weird thing. And now everyone in my climbing gym, if they're not yeah. on the wall, they're doing yoga. I, I think that it's just it's the integration of health and realizing all the things that affect us. So acoustics, because of the, the fact, the simple fact that your ears never turn off. And when you go to sleep, you actually close your eyes, even though it's well accepted, I should say, that 
sound is the the secondary the bastard stepchild to light. It's that, you know, light, we're primarily visually focused creatures, humans, but we're secondarily, acoustically and auditorially focused. However, we never stop hearing because our ears don't close. They don't turn off and they don't close. Whereas your eyes do close for, call it roughly mm -hmm. eight hours a day when you sleep, right? It's documented by scientists, by a biologist. It is the EU's second highest priority in environmental impact that noise causes high blood pressure. It causes increased stress. It increases cardiovascular, uh, the, the chances of cardiovascular failure. It increases um, learning disorders. It, it, it messes with and interferes with um, sleep patterns. So it creates sleep disorders. There, all these things are well known in, in human uh, physiology. And for many years, we've always thought, oh, well, I'm breathing too much smog and I'm eating the wrong food. Of course, these things affect it. But again, the EU has called this the second largest environmental issue, mm -hmm. period. And they're putting a lot of money in time. I think it's been at least 10 years, maybe 20 years that they're putting all this research into how to control noise, primarily mm -hmm. um, traffic noise in urban in urban areas because um all their studies show that the closer you live to a large sound source sound source mostly automotive or train or buses the the more these issues occur and these issues are all serious issues you know they're all they're all things that interfere with your daily life and your longevity so in short when designing a city when in designing a apartment building a a building structure. Of course, it's great concern. The The quieter it is, um, the better it is. Of course, back to the aesthetic of, what do we say? Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Quiet versus loud. Back to the aesthetic of quiet versus loud. You don't want it too quiet. You know, it gets uncomfortable. But you want it quiet enough that you're not listening to airport noise and trucks and trains and mm -hmm. cars driving by all the time. So that's the important thing. I think that if we, again, like nature, nature, the animals in the world tends to be quieter at night and it tends to be louder in the day following the sun and the circadian mm -hmm. rhythms, right? If we design acoustics to mimic the way the sun moves, the, the nature moves, that the activity of the world moves, that our circadian rhythms move, that it's quieter at night, that we can sleep well, that it's busier in the day and we can tolerate a little bit more noise, but not the extreme noise we have now. I'm well quoted as being said, mm -hmm. the world is just too loud. It's just too loud all the time. And I think that's true. I think we should have environments acoustically where they're quiet and we can control if we want to add noise to it or take noise away from it. But when they're loud to start with, you can't, it's harder to remove the noise than to just add noise temporarily mm -hmm. into a quiet situation. And I think that the world would be better off. I think humans will be better off and society will be better off if we have a circumstance where it is quieter to begin with and we can have a concert for an hour and then turn it off and it's by default mm -hmm. quiet. We can drive around, but that driving around mm -hmm. is quiet. And then when we want to make noise and we want to have a party or have a you know, an event or watch a movie. It's a temporary circumstance in an otherwise default quiet environment. And that will help health. It will help our blood pressure. Our, it will help our mm -hmm. sleep disorders. It'll help everything. 
everything that that besieges us as humans today. Because again, we hear all the time. We hear in our sleep. We hear when we're awake. Our, our hearing never turns off. A lifetime of always hearing. We only look at things mm -hmm. 16 hours a day. So perhaps, perhaps we are more primarily acoustically dominated than we think. Or perhaps we are primarily acoustically dominated, period. We're just easily distracted by what we see. Who knows? I'm not a biologist. Better people than me have asked the question, but acoustics has a huge impact on health for those and many more reasons. And there's a, a lot online that can be read about it. Um, just uh, Google EU environmental noise and you'll get more <laughs> than you ever wanted to read about it. Oh man, that's just got me thinking about like, you know, there's, there isn't a standard for, or at least as far as I'm aware, there isn't like a standard for an acoustical rating for a space, like, unlike, you know, you should have this, you know, with lighting, it's like, okay, these are the types of bulbs you have. It should have this many lumens or this much output, or, you know, there, there are some options there and you have, a, have it a little bit more standardized compared to like, you know, you travel and you have no idea if you're going to be in a place that's loud, if it, it's silent, you know, like, and, and it, all these spaces are constantly different. There isn't a, like a standard of I'm going into this space and I will get a great night's sleep because I'm not going to hear anything or, you know. Well, there are, there are some standards there. There, um, there are codes. There are actually uh, city codes, almost all cities that have a code. Mm -hmm. I don't know about all, but many, many cities have mm -hmm. uh, noise codes. They're, they're not necessarily um, dealing with the subjective quality of how good or bad something sounds, but they are dealing with the isolation quality. The, well, the subjective part mm -hmm. we call acoustic signature. So it's just like it's just like your handwritten signature. Everybody has a different signature. So every room, every interior space, every exterior space has space has a a specific acoustic signature to it, and that is subjective. How you think it sounds, how it feels to you acoustically. But isolation is how much sound gets between spaces or through walls or from a building out into the environment or from the environment through the walls into the building. So there are codes for mm -hmm. that, for isolation. I mean, and generally the, the, the key word to search for is noise. So it's controlling noise moving in or out of a space. There aren't any, like you mentioned with lumens and lighting, there aren't any subjective um, mm -hmm. standards. Um, there are standards again for noise levels, meaning uh, the NRC, the NIC, there's many levels of, of noise constant ratings but they don't deal with the the pleasant subjective nature of, like you said, if you travel somewhere and you go to a restaurant and it requires a certain amount of lumens of this kind and this light temperature to be used, it, it by default, or I should say consequently, affects the aesthetics. It affects how the room looks. It's well lit, but because of the standard and light temperature, it also has a certain look to it. Mm -hmm. We don't have that in acoustics. Um, not yet, not yet, hopefully someday. I think I think that would be a great idea. Okay, yes. You should get to work on that right away. <laughs> All right. Um, so then one of the things that I want to make sure that our listeners know is that we want to do a follow-up of listener questions. 
um, because I know that there are a lot of questions that designers have out there. Um, They want to know different things uh, about acoustics. Um, So before I follow up with the last question, I do want to make sure that um, our listeners know to please send me an email um, if you have a question for acoustics. Uh, My email you can find in the masthead of any INS magazine, um, but it is K-A-D as in dog, I-E dot Y-A-L-E, so Katie Yale at interiorsandsources.com. Um, and so then just finish up here, is there anything, I always love to ask this, but is there anything that I haven't asked about that you really think our listeners need to know about um, the basics of acoustics? Hmm. That's a very good question. I, I think that I think it's important for people to realize that all science, including acoustics, it comes from it comes from a sense of common sense. I mean, people get um, concerned, you know, sometimes that they don't know enough about architecture or they don't know enough about acoustics and they're not well versed in it. And I always ask them, like, well. If you're in your space or you're in your recording studio, mm-hmm. how does it sound to you? I don't need a, you know, a $10,000 level sound meter and special software and a laptop to have you say to me, I like the sound of this room or I don't like the sound of this room. Again, back to the acoustic signature. A huge part of what we do when we design spaces is not just keeping the noise out, but it's making a room sound good, which doesn't always look good on a graph. Any any acoustician worth his salt or any, any sound technician will tell you that when you graph a room, it doesn't always make sense on a graph, but some of the best sounding spaces, the best sounding studios, mm-hmm. they just sound good to the human ear. So I would say Acoustics 101 is... If you consider yourself to have, you know, a a pretty normal sense of hearing and that you know what you like and what you don't Mm -hmm. like, then pay attention to that. If it's too loud, feel like it's too loud and most of your friends are sitting with you saying it's too loud and you're in a restaurant and it's there's this jackhammer down the street, Mm -hmm. then it's probably too loud. You know, if you're in a space and you're you're hearing something kind of whistling like a tea kettle while you're watching a movie and everybody else is hearing it, then it's probably something's wrong. You know, so I, I think the most important tool that we have and the thing that we design everything for is is how we listen, is what we call a critical listening. It's paying attention to things. It's it's the same exact thing that every parent does when they have children is you all of a sudden mm-hmm. you tune into the sound of your child. You know how they breathe. You know how they make noise. You know when they're playing with their toy. You know the sound of everything they do. So even if you don't have eyes on them at every single moment, you hear. Just like a a baby monitor. You're not seeing them, Mm -hmm. but you can hear them. Or back again, back to rock climbing metaphors. There are times when you are not within view of the the other climber. So you're tied together with a rope for safety. And the other climber, you speak back and forth, but sometimes you can't see them because they've gone around a curve or they're behind a tree or they're, you know, so far up the rock, you can't see them. You have to know the sound of their voice. You have to know the sound of their silence. You have to know that, oh, whenever, whenever my climbing partner goes really quiet and stops Mm -hmm. talking, something's wrong or 
one one climbing partner likes to whistle a lot. Oh, the guy's whistling the whole time he's climbing, mm -hmm. but when he stops whistling, something's wrong. Or when he's got tension in his voice. It's training our ears to just know without, you don't need an education, you don't need, you know, complicated formulas and tools. As humans, since we're designing for humans, if you just simply learn what you like, just like music, you don't have to be a musician mm -hmm. to know that I like this song. This song sounds great. Every time I hear this song, I want to get out of my chair and dance. Or every time I hear that song, I sing along, right? Same thing. Just pay attention. It's like, oh, I love the sound of that tea kettle. My mom's tea kettle. Every time it goes off, I'm like, God, that is such a, mm -hmm. it just brings me happiness or the sound of this dog barking. So I would say the basis of acoustics is that we design everything for humans. We're not designing them for dogs. We're not designing them for like outer space animals mm -hmm. or aliens. We're designing them for humans. So train your ear, learn what you like. So when you do build a house or a studio or your own theater or, you know, a apartment building or whatever you end up building or designing that you can communicate what you like, what the acoustic image of what you want it to sound like because you already know what mm -hmm. things sound like and you know what you like so and it's not that hard because we listen all the time we know what we like we know we know whose people's voices we don't like and we know whose people's voices we do like you know some people like doris day and some people like coldplay mm -hmm. some people like both it's personal train your ears learn to pay attention to sound even though you're already doing it and Learn to communicate what you like about sounds. That's, I would think, the very base of acoustics. All right, great. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. Um, thank you. And I'm excited for the follow-up, uh, for all the questions that we're hopefully going to get. And um, yeah, just thank you. Thank you, Katie. It's been a pleasure. All right. Uh, so for all of our listeners, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Um, and until next time, thanks so much.